Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. It's okay to have fun in the Word. It's okay, it's okay to rejoice and enjoy your time in the Word. It's actually, uh, uh, it's okay for you to enjoy when church gathers together. It's okay for you to have fun when you gather. Yes, amen? amen. Yes, amen. Well, you know, some folks don't really believe that, but we believe it to be true. Um, when talking about five favorite tactics of the enemy, five favorite tactics of the enemy, and uh, I'm just going to touch on it just a little while this morning, so if you can just, uh, just ask the Lord to just open your heart and your mind, and all of us would be receptive to what he wants to put inside of us today. Now, uh, uh, in order for you and I to successfully win, to defeat our enemies, it's important, it's very crucial for us to know something about their strategy, about how they work, about their tactics need to know the strategy of your enemy, the way it works. And when it comes to your spiritual life, when it comes to your life in Christ, living as a Christian, it is very important for you to know who your enemy is, spiritual enemy is, the enemy we call our adversary, the devil, and know what his strategies are. Because if you know the tools and the weapons and the strategies, the tactics of the devil, then you recognize them quickly. Say, oh man, that's just the devil. He's try- I see what he's trying to do in my life. You recognize it and you respond. Do something about it. Now, make no mistake. Our focus is not on the problem, but it's on the solution. And our focus is not on the devil and his tactics. Our focus is on how you and I overcome and win through Christ. Amen. Amen. So, let's start with these, these four very essential things for us to know that lays a foundation for all these things I'm sharing about the tax of the enemy. And I want us to go over them together and just, just here in the next couple of minutes. First of all, you need to know that you have an enemy. Well, people say, well, that's no surprise to me. i got enemies all around me. But for spiritual, you have one adversary, the devil, your enemy. He is opposed to you. He is opposed to everything you would do for God. He's opposed to God. He'll be opposed to you as his child. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus says. He is your adversary. He is the devil. He is contrary to what God desires for you. Now, know that you have an an enemy, an adversary. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, Be sober or stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, your adversary, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour or seeking whom he may devour. Know that you have an enemy. Secondly, know his tactics and strategy. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11, the last part says that you to, to keep Satan from taking advantage of us and outsmarting us, what do we need to do? We, we need to be aware of his schemes, of his tactics. Don't be ignorant of his schemes, his devices. Know how he works. The word devil is, uh, is the word diablos in the Greek, which means slanderer and accuser. Know his tactics. Thirdly, know that he has been defeated. You need to know that he has been defeated. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, For this purpose, the Son of God, Jesus, was manifested or appeared or came. For what purpose? 
to destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 2.15 says, having disarmed principalities and powers of evil, Jesus made an open show, a public display and example of them. He triumphed over them. Now, the devil has power, but Jesus has defeated that power. You do not have to succumb to his, his, his uh, attack on you. Don't give in to it. You already went. Know that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 1 John 4, 4 tells us that. In James chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, so submit to God. You submit to God, the authority of God in your life, and you resist the devil. Stand firm against him, and he will flee from you in terror. Technically what the scripture says there. That is a statement from the word of God. So don't give the devil more credit than he deserves. The enemy, Satan, has limited scope and limited power in your life. We often are the ones who give him the power to work in our lives by opening up our lives to him. And then we plead to God for help. Dear God, please help me. And we were the ones that opened up our lives to that to begin with. How many of you can identify with that? Yes, I can see. I have absolutely opened myself up to the tactics and the weapons of the enemy in my life before. I've done it. I've done it over and over again. We're talking about those five of his favorite tactics. And I think all of us, when we look at these, say, oh yeah, yeah, I've, I've done that. I've let that happen in my life. So our, our goal in this is to quit. <laughs> Stop letting it happen in our lives. So I want you to repeat each one of those four things after me. We're going to make it as a declaration. All right, we're going to declare it. All right. Repeat after me. I know that I have an enemy. I will know his tactics. I know that he's been defeated. I know that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It's true. It's a declaration. You need to know. K-N-O-W. I know that. I know it. I know it. Now, last time we looked at one of the first tactics of the enemy, that is deceit or deception. To deceive means to lie about something. It means to, uh, to trick someone, to dupe them. It's deluded. It means that to accept something as being true, which is actually a lie, which is not. Now, we know why deception is extremely dangerous because those who are deceived do not know that they are deceived. One of the very aspects, the central aspects of deception is if you're deceived, the definition is you are deceived because you do not know that you're deceived. It's dangerous. So we need discernment. We need to better learn how to discern the difference between right and wrong, true and false. We talked about all the different ways people are deceived and how important it is to learn how to discern lies. I'm not going to go back into that, but you can go on Facebook or you can go on our website and you can go back and look at that and talk about how to overcome deception. Now today, we're going to look at one of the, the second tactic that we're going to look at is the tactic that we call dread. Not deception, but dread. And when I say the word dread, what I'm really looking at here is the tactic of fear. Of fear. Greek word is we get our word phobia. The Greek word is phobos. It is a word for terror or panic. Now, we named uh, probably 15 or 20 different phobias last week that people have. Some of them 
rather common and some of them are really strange, all these things that people panic over. We won't go back into those, but here's what we do need to know. That there is a proper, or we could say a right kind of fear. The word fear we need to define here. And that is the fear of God. And by fear of God, when you are afraid of God, you're not afraid of him because he's going to judge you in Christ. You've, that, that judgment has been taken away. Jesus bore that for you. But you're not afraid of God in that sense, but you reverence him. He's a holy, awesome, powerful God. He is God, and we're not. He is to be revered. Now, we need to have, I think, a good balance of understanding there, don't we? That we could say that Jesus is our friend. That I'm a friend of God. He's our friend. And I can talk to him just like I can a friend. There, there is that intimacy that he wants us to have, that closeness, the fact that he's, that he's not unapproachable, that he is approachable. But all too often, what's happened in many places in the church is we've taken that to an extreme to where I think that that familiarity with God is kind of breathing contempt and people don't revere God as they should. They don't worship Him and honor Him as they should. And it's important as a church for us to know that the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. So the right kind of fear is to have a reverence for God. Proverbs 14, 26, 27, those who fear the Lord, who worship and follow Him are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. Fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. Revere, reverence the Lord. And also I think the right kind of fear is just what we would call a natural respect or caution, a healthy kind of fear. I have what I believe to be a respect for or a natural fear of electricity. I know that if I do certain things from the standpoint of electricity, I'm going to pay the price for it. I respect what I feel and what happens to me. I watch them on this heavy equipment moving all this dirt back here in the back on the amphitheater and I watch them as they drove these things in the handle. Let me tell you something. I've got a respect for equipment and for those things that are much larger than I am. That's just good sense. I mean, that's just good sense. That's an that's okay kind of fear. No, no problem with that. It's a, in a sense, it's a natural fear. But then there's the wrong kind, the unnatural kind of fear, which we're not to have in our lives. And yet I'm concerned that all too often we have had this at work in our lives. It is a wrong kind of fear. It's what we call forbidden fear. The Bible talks about in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that there is a fear that has torment with it. And by that, torment is talking about judgment. There's a fear where there's a sense of judgment. Jesus has taken that judgment. If you're a believer then you're not under his judgment anymore. You are a born-again believer. Now, yes, we're accountable, responsible for how we live. We are to confess, repent of our sins. But we don't have to fear or be in terror of God coming after us. And he wants to punish us because we know that we have passed from death to life. We know that now we don't have to have that kind of fear. We're not going to live in torment forever. We don't have to live a tormented life. And one of the signs of the last days... And we are living in the last days. Now, I know that sounds a little ridiculous to some and a little strange, particularly if you were to have heard me preach back in the 1970s and 80s, and I declared to the congregation then that we're living in the last days. And that was 30 or 40, almost 50 years ago. 
What I said then was true. When I say it today, it's true. If anything, I could add to it today that we're living in the last of the last days. It's closer now than it's ever been before. But we're not to be panicking over it or be fearful about it. There's some horrible things going on in the world. And particularly those, as you look at your children and grandchildren, you see the things that are happening in the world, it, you, you can get to a place of being in anxiety and fear over it. And God doesn't want us to do that. We can overcome that. The last days, Luke chapter 20 and verse 26. The Bible says, people will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth. Men's heart failing them from fear of the expectation of things to come. There's a lot of things that people are afraid of they fear. Some people fear failure. They, they get given up try. They fail before, so they're afraid if they try again, they'll fail again. So some people just giving up trying. I don't try anymore. I'm afraid if I try, I fail. The truth is, if you don't try, it's an automatic you will fail. But if you go ahead and try it, there's an opportunity to succeed there. But there's some people that won't move because they're just afraid they'll fail. They've got a history of failing. They're afraid they'll repeat it. Some people are, are afraid of lack, L-A-C-K, of lack. And, and hold on to every cent they have and, and, and very frugal, if we use the kind word for it, about things in their life. And, and all too often we'll see that happening from an older, gen, from an older generation than I am. People who came up uh, through the Depression, through days when times were more difficult than you and I can even imagine. Some of your, your, your parents were in, in, involved in it, and I don't know where any of you are old enough to have even known it as a very small child or baby, but I, I doubt if you are. We have a young congregation, including the pastor. And, um, <laughs> amen? <clears throat> so, a lot of times people who've lived with kinds of difficulties and they didn't have very much, and they had to make the most of what they had, even when there's a lot, now when there's, a, when there's plenty, there's still that tendency to want to be very careful about their possessions, things that they have, because there's a, a lack there and there's an insecurity. Some people have a fear of insecurity, insecure about relationships, insecure about their finances, insecure about their job. They just, they just are plagued with insecurity. Some people are uh, afraid of what people say. They cannot be honest because they're always trying to comply with what they think a person wants them to say. And they're living under that type of intimidation. Now, I think we should be cautious with our words, and we could, should, our words should be filled with grace, as the Scripture says. We should be wise. There are right ways to say, say things, and there are right times to say things. Certainly, of course. But when you live in constant fear of whether someone's going to take you wrong or not or misunderstand what you say or if you're afraid to say it because you're afraid you're going to offend them, then that's a miserable life, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm afraid I'll offend. I'm afraid I'll offend. Well, look, if you're a born-again believer, the Bible says you're not easily offended. In other words, it'll take a whole lot to offend you. That's not just a tough skin in a sense. That's a strong heart. I'm not easily offended. I'm going to forgive you. I'm not going to be offended by you. I'm going to forgive you. That's how we as believers are supposed to be. And especially when we're living in a nation now where we've got these, especially some, a lot of the college kids, not everyone, but a lot of the college kids and some of the millennials are saying, oh, I'm, I'm so offended. Don't say anything that's going to offend me. Give me a safe place. I may cry. I don't know what I'm going to do. Let's get over this ridiculous aspect of that offends me. 
don't know where to move or what to say anymore. If someone gets offended, they'll take your job or they'll call you names or they'll ruin you. That's ridiculous. And as Christians, especially, especially among ourselves, between each other, we need to develop a desire to speak kindness and love and positive things. Of course we should do that. But when something hits you a little bit wrong, something like that, don't be offended by it. Don't be offended. If you need to confront that person in love, go ahead. But otherwise, let it go. Everybody say, let it go. They made a movie kind of like that. Okay. There's a fear. Some people fear the unknown. I think for most people there is kind of a a built-in, if you will, an ingrained fear of the unknown. And the reason you are afraid of the unknown is because you don't know. Now, I know that that was brilliant. But the fear of the unknown is we haven't been there. I haven't been there yet. I haven't been there yet. And that kind of leads into the fact that a lot of people are just afraid of dying. Now, I think there's a natural built-in desire to survive in most people. Most of us say, I really don't. It's, my, it's not my choice to die this moment or today. I, would, I want to live. I want to live as long as the Lord wants me to live. Amen. Long life he'll satisfy us, the scripture says. But some people live in constant terror of fear, or terror and fear of death. And some people are afraid of growing old. Now, when I get there, uh, I'm determined I will not be afraid. I'm not, that wasn't a joke or anything. That was a joke. <laughs> I get encouraged by the fact that Webster wrote his dictionary when he was 70 years old. Hallelujah, praise God. There's a lot left. I don't care if you're in your 70s or what. You got a lot. There's a lot of living still to go on. Good amen to that. Especially of us older seniors in here. Absolutely. We're just about to get old enough as a congregation to have our own senior ministry here in this group. We haven't had until we just now get into it. Some of us have grown up enough now where we can have our own senior ministry. Uh, but I, these ridiculous names. I think we're going to call ourselves the prime timers or something like that. I mean, this is where you're hitting. You're at a point in your life to say, all right, now, I'm smarter than some of these folks who haven't lived very many years. And I've got, I've got some experience under my belt and going, Moses was 80 years old when he led Israel out of Egypt. I know his 80 doesn't quite compute to what 80 is today, but still, a lot of things can happen even after some people consider you to be too old. Some people are afraid of responsibility and commitment. You know, we have these people that where couples are deciding just to live, we just live together. They say, well, why don't you go ahead and get married? Well, we we're just not sure yet whether we want to do that or not. The fear of commitment, fear of commitment. We're not, we're not sure we want to do that or not. Well, truth is, you're already doing it. You understand that? Uh, they're afraid. They're, they're afraid of commitment. And then I have, I've, talk, I've talked to young women before who say, you know, you guys are together and everything. You know, are you, you plan on getting married or whatever? I don't know. He, um, we've talked about it before, but he's just not sure. He kind of has a problem with commitment. Well, you need to turn and run from that character. Yes. I hope, I hope we don't have any of those characters in this congregation. But people are afraid today of commitment and responsibility. <clears throat> I love this little statement I ran across last week. It said, fear is the opposite of faith. Get this. Fear imprisons, faith liberates. Fear paralyzes, faith empowers. Fear disheartens, 
faith encourages. Fear sickens, faith heals. Fear is useless and faith makes us productive. And we want to walk in faith, not in fear. Fear can make you miserable. It can make you sick. It can kill you. And certainly it can limit you and paralyze you, keep you from becoming all that God wants you to be and that you can become in him. So let me point out some things. Did I tell you how many so you know how much longer you're going to be here? Uh, not very long. I got to wait till they got everything ready anyway, so we're running good on that. Just kidding. All right, let's look at these things. Overcoming fear. Look at these with me. It's important. One of the first things that is important for, us, for me to learn how to do if I'm going to overcome fear is to face it. Everybody say it with me. Face it. A little acronym for fear, F E A R. Sometimes it says, F E R stands for get everything and run. <laughs> or a better one is face everything and rise. Face everything and rise. Every opportunity to fear is also an opportunity to trust God. I'm going to say that one more time because there's this little area there where we have a place where we can choose which way we're going to go with this. Every opportunity to fear is also an opportunity to trust God. Man, fear not is listed some 365 times, give or take, in the Bible. Jesus over and over again said, fear not, fear not, fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. So face it. When I am afraid, I'll face it. I'll face the truth. And when I face the truth, fear has to go. David kind of put it this way in Psalm chapter 56, verse 3. David said, whenever I'm afraid. Now, he didn't say I'm never afraid. He was bombarded with the opportunity to be afraid. He says, whenever I'm afraid, I will act of his will. I make a decision. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. Face it. Secondly, take your thoughts captive. You got to deal with what's in here, your mind, your thinking. Some people are constantly in fear because they got these things going on in their head all the time, these fearful thoughts. What if, what if, or I'm afraid if this happens. Look, take your thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says that we're to take captive every thought that sets itself against the obedience to Christ or against the Word of God, which means we can do that. Say, I'm not going to think that way. Some of us just need to straighten, you know, straighten out our thinking. Deal with stinking thinking. Philippians 4, 8 says, whatever's true, whatever's honest, pure, lovely, of good report, whatever has, if it has any virtue and any praise, then you think on these things. You, this, this is something that when we get caught up in an emotional part of something going on in our lives, we, we want to mature the place don't we? we want to mature to a place to where when we're confronted with these things and the wrong thoughts are starting to gel in our minds and come at us, that we take those captive and pull them down and say, oh no, I'm going to replace those thoughts with other thoughts. This is not mind games. This is scripture that says, you set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You set your mind, you set your mind, you say, you think about these things. So that means we have the potential to do that, doesn't it? We have a choice to do it, don't we? Wouldn't we be a lot better off if we chose to turn and think about those things rather than rather all the horrors and the terrible things that are going on around us? Absolutely. So very important. So important. Thirdly, by the way, if you're, 
I know none of you are looking at the clock, but thirdly, uh, I got five of these. Thirdly, know your identity. First, face it. Second, take your thoughts captive. Third, know your identity. In other words, know who you are in Christ. Now, this comes up over and over again because this is central to about everything we teach. It's important for you to know who you are in Christ. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, the Bible says, so we can say with confidence, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Psalm 118. Know who you are. In Christ, the enemy cannot overcome you if you will stand on the word. You don't have to give in to fear. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now we know the Greek word for fear, we say is phobos, but also one word is used in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. Uh, is, is translated delia or, or timidity. And we remember the verse that says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, timidity, or dread, but he has given us a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind, we could say, to take dominion and to overcome. So you need to know that if you're a believer, God's not given you the spirit of fear. So why, why live in it? God's not giving you a spirit of fear. He's giving you the power. He's giving you what? He, of love, power, the sound mind. This is what he's given you. Romans 8, 37 says, we are more than conquerors with overwhelming victory. The Amplified Bible says, through Christ who loved us and died for us. This is who you became. When you became a Christian, you became more than a conqueror. Well, it seems like I'm getting whooped a lot to be more than a conqueror. I know sometimes you look at life that way. This is something where we need to train ourselves, uh, train ourselves in the Word. We need to grow up as Christians. And the stronger we become, then the greater warrior we become and we overcome in these areas. And I want to grow in that. Man, I, I want to move more in that direction. Man, Christians and church members, Christians have got beaten up, have, have been dragged down into all kinds of situations, and it didn't have to happen. I'll say it again. It didn't have to happen. And, and you know, sometimes I just get to a place where I'm tired. I'm tired of this happening to God's people. We want to learn how to stand up and remember who we are and say, that's enough. That's enough, devil. That's enough. I'm a child of the king. I am blood bought. I am redeemed. I am an overcomer. The same spirit that lives in me raised Christ from the dead. Amen. Look, you need to remember who I am and you have been defeated. Sometimes you just need to talk that way. Talk it, talk that way. Well, sometimes I just don't feel that strong when things are, well, I don't care. Get the right thoughts in your mind and talk that way. Remember who you are. I know how it is. The tendency is for us when we're hurting or things against us, and I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers because, you know, we've all walked down this road before. The tendency is, is that when things come against us, we, we get a little anxious over them, and then we wonder how it's going to work out, and we let those things gel around in our mind and and it grows and it builds in us. And then if we have friends, we kind of share or confide in them. And then most of them loving us, they don't really sometimes speak the truth to us. They just kind of sympathize with us, don't they? They just kind of sympathize with us and say, you poor thing. 
So, you know, it's, it's good. Sometimes it just feels good for somebody to just put their arm on your shoulder and say, I'm sorry. You, you know, I'm sorry. I know you're hurt. All right, okay. But then there comes a time to say, okay, but it is time now for you to straighten up, remember who you are, and become the victor that Christ has made possible. Have the victory Christ made possible for you and become that victor. Don't be the victim anymore. Dear God, we've got such a victim mentality in this nation now. We're not victims. Know your identity, who you are in Christ. Number four, then learn to dwell on God's promises. I'll tell you what, it's extremely, I cannot, there's no, no way I can describe how important it is. That part of your life just has to get to a place where you're not thinking about all these possibilities and things and lies and what's going on. There comes a time when you need to, to pull away from that and just dwell on what God says about you. Luke 12 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, he says, for it gives your father Great happiness, good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I mean, dwell on the word and remember who you are. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't worry or be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Dwell on the promises. Get in the word and find out what he's promised you and then just say, thank you, Lord. And I claim I take those promises in my life. Now, you can't play around with this stuff and expect it to work in your life. This has to become a regular part of your daily life becomes your habit, your lifestyle. Finally, number five. Everybody say number five. five. Number five is if we're going to walk and overcome fear, we need to learn to just delight in his presence. There's nothing like just enjoying the presence of the Lord that will set you free in some areas in your life. And yet, I, I dare say that there, there are many believers who could not even really say with any confidence that, if I ask them about it, have you really ever just dwelled, just experienced, rested in the presence of the Lord and known, known his presence, experienced his presence? Do you, have you ever experienced that in your life? And many of them would say, well, I know he's present with me, but no, I can't say that there's really been any or at least not very many when I just really dwelt in and delighted in his presence. I love these verses. Isaiah 41.10, the Bible says, when you go through deep waters, this is from the Lord to you. I believe it's to you and to me. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. In other words, when you feel like you're about to be overcome and drowned, too much for you. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. His presence, his presence, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you'll not drown or he'll not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, even the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. So very important for us to know that God has promised, that even though there's times of suffering, that we do not need to live in fear. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. That means no fear. My peace I give to you, not like the world gives you do I give to you, don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If he says don't let your heart be afraid, that means there is the potential and possibility that you could let it be afraid. But if you're afraid, it means you have let it be afraid. Let me use another word for let it, 
allowed. You've allowed yourself to get in fear and anxiety when Jesus says, don't allow that in your life. I'll give you a piece that's beyond what you can understand. Just don't allow it. When it comes against you, learn how to stand against it and learn how to overcome. I'm not trying to be preachery this morning or say these wonderful spiritual truths. This is just bedrock truth of the Scripture that's so practical if we learn to apply it to our lives. So very important. I want to end with this. And this is from author and teacher Graham Cook. And listen to these words. It says... If we are filled with the fullness of God, if we are filled with the fullness of God, then we live in ways unlike the world around us. There's no place of worry or panic in the Christian life. Faith and anxiety cannot exist in the same space. One of them has to go. And you have the power to choose which. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me? And then we're going to stand, and then I'm going to ask you to sit one more time. We'll just give you a couple announcements about today's gathering. But I want to make a confession. If you desire prayer, if you just really need someone to pray with you, uh, I'm going to be up here at the front for a little while. Uh, I'll pray with you, and there may be some other folks that we can, will certainly, that would love to pray with you. But you're welcome to come up if you have anything specific you want to pray over. We don't want to neglect that. We're always open to people, to praying for people and don't want to cut anybody off there. But oftentimes we'll end by just thanking the Lord for his word and declaring it and moving out. Look, it's not just about what happens here at the altar. It's what you leave with. It's not just about how many people come down to an altar. It's about how many people's lives are changed. Monday, and the rest of the week. So yes, I thank God for invitations, but it's not just about an invitation and coming forward. But if you desire to come, we welcome you to come. But I, I, I want just to make a de declaration. I want you to repeat after me. The Bible talks about the importance of declaring, making a declaration. And we're going to do it out loud before we, before we go today. Now, I just kind of want to go over these statements that I make, and I want to kind of personalize them for us. Okay, are you ready? This is our declaration. Okay? All right. God, by your grace, I will face fear. Say it. By your grace, I will face fear. Secondly, I will take my thoughts captive in obedience to your word. I declare that I am your child. I will remember who I am. I will dwell on your promises. And I will delight in your presence. That's our declaration today, Lord. That's our declaration. Change us from the inside out. Let us know, God, that we don't have to come under the dominion of the enemy because he has been defeated and now we are more, more than conquerors and victorious over the tactics of the enemy. We declare it and by your grace and by your power, we will live it out in Jesus' name. And if you agree, amen. 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 Give a good thanks to the Lord. Thank you, Lord.